when we ordered food at the castle, right? And on the phone, yeah. they told her to speak English and she started crying and she told them, this is like my native language. I And you speak native French as well. Why can't we speak French? They were like, your French is not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That was six years ago this year. This is weird. Okay, okay. Let's start the cast. Let's start the cast. Go, go, go. already right in the cast because this is everyday channel number 97 your favorite most deceptively named bi-weekly legacy podcast and today's show is brought to you by our brand new patrons john vinella guillem and chris raymond thank you so much for supporting the show and guys what's up how, how have you been doing dr pavlik mr matt and Callum from the uk how's it going good 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 to be here as always excited to talk about our topics tonight it's very very fun stuff so yeah our topic is going to be really fun tonight because I think I'm going to lose a lot of friends once I say like what I really think about deck building. But by, <laughs> by, to by talking about, I'm, I'm excited to listen to you and Matt oh. talk about a love and uh, and uh, you talk about this card. It's going to be it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, to me, it's not even about the card we're going to talk about, but true, what. True. We'll dive right into that. We, we will speak a lot about consistency, about deck building, but to it's me, no, most it's importantly, it's like... Just so you know, it's not Blood Moon. <laughs> it's not Blood Moon, no. It's Seven Library. But to me, it's much more about like the competitive mindset and how to approach stuff. And I have a lot of very strong thoughts about that. And yeah, I you we, we will see about that. But first of all, Callum, what have you been up to? You know what? We, we always do this section and um, it's really nice to like catch up with what we're doing, but... I've not had a particularly interesting last couple of weeks, and both of the descriptions you two have put in the show notes it's just sound like way, way more fun. Yeah, because so your, uh, your description ahead. was fucking blank. That's why. That's why. Well, I only just saw it, and I have a couple of things I've done. I played, like, quickly, I played in the Legacy Showcase recently, and I chose a bad deck and went 0 2. Yay. Um, work has been too busy for me to play much otherwise, so. I you have an really... assistant at work now, you told me. Is that like secret information or can I leak oh, that? Oh, true, I guess. Yes, yeah, so th that's part of the reason why I've not really had time to do much. I, I, <laughs> my job has been too busy for me and I've been telling the boss I'm too busy. And he's finally like, yeah, okay, fine. So I got a guy to come in for half a day to help me out last week. And he's like, okay, I can see how much better you are with some help. Let's get him for three days next week. And so now Ooh. I'm going to have him like, Your manservant. helping me. Yes. So it, it's it's always tough having someone come because right now, like, I spend a lot of time at work doing work, but I also spend a lot of time pretending to work and chatting with friends about Magic the Gathering. So <laughs> I don't get to do that the last week or two as much as usual. Can so. you can you train him to, like, sort through Magic Online data and figure stuff out? Because that's what a friend of mine actually did. Back in 2014, we, we had, like, this kind of team where we were like touring around all around europe and even like playing the standard limited gps and this guy he he was working for some like proper serious company like you know not the way i am <laughs> and he he had a secretary and he, it's actually kind of crazy to say but he basically made her go through i think back then we used like tcdex.net or whatever oh, yeah, we had um, before yeah exactly and she went there and she like scored through all the different results and put together statistics and she had no idea how magic works but he had told her like okay you categorize decks and stuff and then she like 
calculated like top eight percentages and stuff and like he would share that before the gp with us and we were like how did you get that and she, he was like yeah my, my assistant did that <laughs> like <laughs> I- what the fuck that's a good idea. I have a much more useful thing to do. I've, I'm going to get him to. I'm going to train him in the best um, ways to troll the Leaving Legacy group, um, and the Show and Tell uh, Facebook group. So I'm going to train him in those ways, and uh, yeah, he'll Wait, work. On those that. two are different groups. Good point. But uh, maybe maybe there's a secret Leaving Legacy group that you're not in. Wait, wait, wait. So actually, you got to tell me. Is that like a dedicated show and tell group, or or yes, is of course there is. Yes, it's called. It's called. I need to actually bring up the name because it's really, really funny. It's. Hold on, bear with me. It's probably show and tell magic. No, it is the MTG Real Thing Presentation Education. Oh my god, this is probably like gonna get some people <laughs> from really weird channels to come up and advertise. You know that that New England land group where, where pe- like real estate agents oh, yeah. would show up and they were like, oh, I'm selling this property in New England. They were like, yeah, sure. That, c- can we like develop this into a, a, a part maybe, like a shading part, or c- can I build a tabernacle there? That and they got trolled so hard. That was like many years ago. You could probably advertise <laughs> your Kenyan hotel there. Yeah, no, I, mean, the I, I mean, we had we had a group called Vancouver Vintage, and we get like a bunch of hipsters like trying to do stuff in our group. It's like go fuck off. Like I I, I just looked at their profile <laughs> to approve them. I'm like, you're not a magic player. Get the fuck out of here. So, dude, people who wear like vintage clothing, I could totally see them being into into vintage and matching and everything. They couldn't afford it, but anyway, that's that was. Dude, even... you have no idea how expensive vintage clothing. It, it, you know, a shared friend of ours. I'm not gonna like reveal personal stuff, but he's really into vintage clothing, and he buys stuff from like a hundred years ago in really good condition, and then goes to very unique parties. Well, I guess not right now. But seems like some eyes yeah, wide this... shut weirdness. Anyway, X, that's an old you, reference. You, you, you have no idea how close you are. Is it anyway, <laughs> wow. We'll talk about this after. This is interesting. So Julian, what's new no, with I, you? No, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you parties. because, like, he only told me. And uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> it's actually Julian. Oh shit! I wasn't meant to say that. It's my secret identity, yeah, dude. Oh, dude. I, but secret identity. I wish my my secret identity was being in Kenya. Now I just talked to my colleagues in Kenya again. And you know what? We would love to get um, uh, DJI. Just released a drone, and it has. Uh, fpv flying which means you put on goggles and you see through the eyes of the drone and you can fly and it flies like 130 kilometers per hour or you you know like fifteen thousand fahrenheit or something anyway and it's it's insane i want to do that it's like super illegal in kenya but nobody gives a shit that's really cool though because then you can see when the opposing troops are trying to take over the hotel and you can actually like (laughs) command the battlefield from the air <laughs> <laughs> spoken like a true soldier did, did you actually get some strategic training in the military like you get some basic training right you, you i cannot confirm no more <laughs> i see i see so matt how's it going for you what, what have you been up to did you play um, magic um i haven't been playing but i've been sorting which is a good way to start playing again so um i've been building pre-modern gauntlet decks um like building like the rock and stasis and wildfire and all the good things that anyone would want to play in the pre-modern format, which is a decent... I know there's a lot of little formats, and we can have a big discussion about how uh, parsing up all, all of the older formats might be just destroying legacy. But we'll we'll, we'll get that later. And I I'm just put Probably not. Anyway. Um, and I'm getting the legacy gang back together. I'm building my legacy gauntlet back up and, uh, you know... Trying to trying to get some decks together uh, to actually play some Paper Legacy, which will hopefully start in maybe June, July, which would be pretty cool. And as you know, I've been getting some orders on MKM to oh, yeah. Julian's household, where I definitely live sometimes. 
<laughs> Dude, like everybody in my house, because sometimes they accept the letters for me, they probably think that we are like a couple living in this apartment. Oh, 100%. I'm actually surprised my, land- yeah, I'm surprised my landlord has- hasn't even asked about it because I technically I would probably like need to register that, but yeah. Anyway, but anyway, besides our gay couple relationship, um, MKM has been very good for picking up like pre-modern stuff and, and all the German legacy stuff that I want to buy. Um, so that's been very nice. Thank you, Julian. Except when the sellers are like, did the letter get there that yet? I'm just like, oh, so sorry. I've been away. Um, I'll be back to my house soon. <laughs> and then I'm like, Julian, please. Please. Yeah. Do you, you remember that picture I posted, right? When I was gone for one weekend and there were, I want to say, a hundred or something letters in front of yeah. my house. And they didn't even fit into a letterbox. So the, the, they it was just overflowing. Threw it was just on, a pile. It was like it. literally just a pile on, on your doorstep. <laughs> that, was, that was amazing. But, uh, Caleb, I knew you you were using MKM before, but now not because of something something yeah, happened recently. That, that uh, little Brexit thing. Like, we were chatting beforehand, and like I used to use MKM a lot. And um, I will say, like one of our recent episodes with Kai kind of opened my eyes to it a bit. So I use MKM tons. It's like it's a great uh, place to buy and sell stuff. I, I was selling a lot of my collection recently, um, partly out of just like wanting to get old cards again rather than keep up with modern and stuff, like kind of trading stuff out. And um, also buying. But then, I don't know, I, my eyes were just lifted to this very obvious thing where we have some amazing um, like stores and organizers near us and stuff. Um, a special shout out to Axion Now, who um, they're just like the the absolute dream TOs you could ever want. Very kind, always want what the play, what's best for the players. And I don't know, I've just always used MKM. And with Brexit, it's not worth using anymore. And so I've been like, okay, why don't I just buy from them and support them? And I should I should have been doing this the whole time. And it's like right in front of my eyes. So I've been telling friends to do that as well. So it's a push the right direction. But it makes sense that MKM kind of bullied out a lot of stores selling singles. Like they, they can't make much money on it anymore if everyone's like so cutthroat over that business. So I'm going to take this opportunity to tell everyone, especially in Europe, like, yeah, MKM is great, but you should still put your store first. Um, if, you, if you think that they, they work hard to give you... Um, a good place to play in and good atmosphere and stuff. Yeah, like, I, I, I know for us, specifically, like, I'll order from my old store. Yeah, um, you're, in, you're in a very different position. So, but, but for example, like, buying my selling, like, Russian... Foil Russian stuff. Yeah, yeah, like, there's just, they just don't have it. But if they do <laughs> yeah. have it, I buy it. I mean, they just, they just I'm not trying to it. buy, like, summer forests to cast my siege rhinos with. I actually do need more summer forests, so if there's anybody listening who need who has summer forests, I need two yeah. more to finish Enchantress. Anyway, please oh. Don't you have yeah. like four? I have four. I might be playing five, or, like. But then also, like, if you have multiple decks together, like, do you want to always be switching around your summer forests? And the answer, yeah, these, these are the problems. Those are the things has. I ask me on a daily basis. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, to carry on quickly. So, so MKM, like, now that the UK has left Europe, God knows why. Absolutely idiots. I'm going to take the opportunity to say that as well. Um, yeah, like we, we get hit with the import and export duties. Like if I sell something, the, the the buyers will like get hit by taxes, and so they don't buy it from us. And if I buy stuff, um, I had some credit left over, so I ordered like a box of the new set to draft with friends, and I'm probably going to get hit by like a thirty forty pound taxes fee. What? Yeah, it's probably that's like insane. probably like thirty something euros. Yeah, that, for that a, seems quite quite shitty. Yeah, yeah. So it's just not worth buying. So. Um, I'm upset to not be able to have that platform anymore, but also happy to now just like pump all my uh, money into people. That you know where it. the real money is? The real money is is making an MKM, but just for the UK. They, they've tried. There was this thing called Liliana Market, which got eaten up by MKM, I think. Um, <laughs> oh, I, re- well, I read about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. now 
there's a there's a prime opportunity. So yeah, what are you doing right now? Um, too literally busy nothing to talking think. to me. <laughs> but yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah, this could be a good opportunity for a UK market. Actually, it's it'd be interesting. UK. I just, just love how random that name is, like Liliana Market. Yeah, it was not a <laughs> it was not a great name, I thought. But honestly, like the most random names are the best, like Everyday China, right? By the way, Matt, we <laughs> at some point you gotta tell us how we actually came up with the name for this podcast, right? Because you're unlike us, you're actually a founding member. Yeah, and all your just suckers guests who turned into hosts because the other hosts were just lazy buggers and and couldn't find it. No, um, that's I think that's a story for episode one hundred. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. If you have any like special questions about the history of the podcast, definitely hit us up on at EternalMTG on Twitter or on our Discord, which you can access through basically patreon.com slash everydayeternal. Guys, so we want to talk about a bunch of, dare I say, controversial stuff because I, I'm having a hard time leading into this topic because I have like some very strong opinions about competitive mindsets and how a lot of people, I think, don't really have it. They, they are like content, just theory crafting and theory crafting and like spending 99% of their time theory crafting and then they play a tournament and they go three and five and they're proud of that because their <laughs> opponents got lucky twice because so technically they might have even been top eight and it's like, you, 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 I, I actually, I don't know the name of the guy, but I know that there's a guy going around, I've been told that a couple of times, who keeps telling people his best finish at a GP was a top eight and his actual finish was a 10 and five, but his opponents got quote-unquote super lucky t- uh, three or four times and because of that he technically top aided that gp and actually goes around saying that and i think that's wow that's, that's like the most you know extreme what? representation i work at the grocery store yeah. but you know what in my life i just like oh fuck i just like barely missed it but you know what i would have been a ceo so like i tell people i'm the ceo but i actually yeah, but bag groceries like, like 10 and 5 is not bad like uh, uh, going 10 and 5 as a legacy gp is like pretty pretty respectable i think i went like something like that uh, recently but oh well, recently oh, pandemic whatever i would say but, day twoing is is a great achievement for sure like it is it is very much but um yeah but you're, I, I was i was about to say let just just jump into the source man you 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 started off with it um yeah just keep going this could be a good introduction like explain your mindset explain what you think, it, what it takes to be a competitive mindset and uh, like how people are led astray by it. And that could probably yeah. steer us into the future topic. I, ch- I just want to make sure that people don't get this wrong because all of this was brought up by a, actually a super interesting discussion on the Leaving a Legacy group, Facebook Which, group. Who, about who knows what that library. is? Who knows what Leaving yeah, a Legacy it's a is? It, it's, it's the premier show and tell group on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want to make sure like this is... What I'm saying is nothing about the guy who started that thread. And I actually reread that thread uh, right before we started to make sure. And this acted like as context for my thoughts. And like it's 10% related to what he said. But like I just want to make sure when I'm shit talking stuff, I'm not talking about that guy because I'm really not. I'm really not. But it's, it's, it reminded me of a lot of things I always wanted to say about a competitive mindset. So I, to I, me, just quickly, I think I think this um, what you're about to describe is a pretty common thing for a lot of players to feel, and it's going to be very easy for a lot of people to feel like totally called out by it. And that's not what you're trying to do. You're trying to explain like why you think that it's a bad and unhealthy way to think about things. If you basically you're about to explain theorize too much. But um, yeah, a lot of people are going to take it like you're speaking directly to them, to their soul, into yeah, their mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, I guess part of that is that. But I think the another big important thing is that that's also okay to be like that. For example, I'm like that in, in like fighting games. or I'm like that in, in Brute War StarCraft when I play that because I don't 
play nearly enough to really like have a deep understanding but i know all the theory kind of but then in practice it's, it's like a little bit different so what i want to talk about is um i think there's a lot of the mindsets that people are happy only rarely ever playing tournaments and i guess it's already super hard to play tournaments in the first place if you don't play on magic online right now and then they they end up in this in this thing where 90 of the time is spent theory crafting and that's their hobby that's actually their primary hobby and it sounds super full of myself but my primary hobby still kind of is like playing tournaments and winning tournaments and that's 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 just like a thing for me i care so much more about winning tournaments than about for example getting a top eight that's i think i've said that on previous episodes but i yeah, if i, I could win have. one tournament i value that more than eight top eights even though the, the eight top eights are a better representation of your skill but i i, I just like the the, the the thing about winning tournaments and the, the greatness that comes with that uh, i mean in the context of legacy there's only so many greatness to be had right and That's why I despise the fetish around consistency, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I mean, we, we have these like chat groups, right, all over Facebook. And, and I mean, in most places this comes up where people always talk about increasing consistency. And I have a lot of thoughts about consistency and, and consistency um, brought about by good deck building, which is a great thing. But then again, I think consistency is neither good nor I, I literally think consistency is neither good nor bad all by itself. What, what, what's um, an example of like uh, good consistency and this uh, like consistency that you're talking about in a negative way? Uh, in a negative way, is consistency means you want your deck to be to play out predictably. You want yeah. to have more agency. Like agency is one of those big words, right? About how your deck plays out, and all of that is nice, but none of that says anything about how many matches you're gonna win, unless. And that's the big part that we should probably talk about later. Your deck is busted and should probably have something banned in it, because the way you have to think about consistency, it's it's a spectrum. You have consistency and you have power. And in a healthy meta game, there's always a trade-off between consistency and power. We see that in, in, for example, fast combo decks. If you if you drop your consistency really far, then you can get insane power. But at the same time, if you want more consistency, like a deck like Ad Nauseam Tendrils, then your power level is a little bit lower. You're much rarer going to kill in the first or second turn, but you you eventually will get there with a much higher consistency. And, and that's the kind of trade-off I'm talking about. And I think um, a lot of people misthink that you can get both at the same time consistency and power and that's what we're trying to maximize right and we can do that to a certain degree because the the trade-off is not always linear linear and for that i want to talk about the concept of marginal value i guess that's most people kind of know about that if they have like i always feel weird when people like explain very basic economic concepts and you feel like oh my god please this is this is so obvious but i i guess i gotta mention it so the idea of marginal value is um for every extra unit of value you get you have to pay a certain price so for example your power level i'm just like putting numbers out of my eyes your power level is 10 Now you want to go to power level 11. Okay, that's going to cost you $100. You're like, okay, that's fine. I'm going to pay that. Now you want to go from 11 to 12. And now they're like, okay, that's $150. You're like, oh, now I have to pay more. Okay, that's still kind of okay for me. But now you want to go from 12 to 13 and it's 200, for example. And you, you know, your, your marginal value of getting that extra unit of power is going down. And eventually you come to a point where adding those that extra power, or in this case, I guess, consistency, It's, it's not worth it anymore. It's called and the concept of diminishing returns, right? 
pretty much yeah that's 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 a good way to put yeah that's basically it that's where we arrive at it and i think we we and when we talk about breaking a format i think that's the core of the concept of breaking a format is is to find that ideal trade-off between consistency and power I guess I guess a good example actually quickly. There was a Reddit thread um, the other day about someone who had built a kind of very quirky kind of cool ideas lands deck with lots of um, enchantments and stuff. And I think they maybe hadn't just played the format for a while. It was a cool idea, but one of the key things they were trying to do was play a mana bond turn one and discard their hand. And in that hand was enough lands to cast a um, an arrogant worm, or they actually had the red version of it. Oh, um, I love it. <laughs> I mean, I love I love the idea. I thought the deck was really cool, and like the ideas they're trying to do. There was loads of little synergies in the deck, so very, very cool ideas, but the power level was absolutely nowhere near there. Like, even if it was three mana for a 4-4 four, four trample at all times, you would never play this because it, the power level is not there. So this is like the floor of what you're describing. Yeah, this is, I guess I would say this is a good example of low consistency because that's a rather rare thing to happen. Well, let's, let's assume that, that, that they actually managed to get that consistently. But then the power level there is not I, I, worth it. I guess you could get that consistently by adding mana bond. You could also add lion's eye diamond, which is something mm-hmm. people used to do with arrogant warm. You, you, that, that's actually a good example of consistency if you like really build your deck to do that. But the power level is really low. So yes, what I'm exactly. always saying is, if I want a consistent deck where I have the maximum amount of agency about my draws, I play sixty islands because maximum consistency, maximum agency, power level. Fuck Zero. it. It's, it's not there. We, we got to find that sweet spot between power level and consistency as a trade-off. And sometimes that means playing a super inconsistent deck with insane power level. And sometimes that means playing something like Miracles, which is... Okay, I guess the old top Miracles was super high consistency, super high power. And I guess that's that's that, that's probably like where, where I'm always like hesitant to say it because I don't want to offend people more than necessary <laughs> maybe a little I, more i think i think breach is another good example of this yeah i would agree with breach that was actually yeah. what i was gonna say but yeah yeah took it. um so yeah what <laughs> i was about to say about murkers is that i feel like we, we've had this murkers culture for let me say how many years was it 2005 years kind of like five years where people were so used to getting high consistency and high power and since you couldn't increase the power anymore you, people were always working on increasing the consistency of the deck, which which was the way to go, right? And like we we, we stopped doing all that Legends Miracles thing, even though it worked out kind of well for Joe, uh, Joe Lassett. And we we went like really deep on trying to just like standardize the way Miracles plays out. And I think mm-hmm. that's a very good example of getting to that sweet optimum between consistency and power but also being in an incredibly unhealthy spot. And every time we feel like we are in that kind of spot on the graph, something happens. And I think that's why legacy bands are somewhat predictable. Like, I, I, I'm not the only one, right? But I think I've, for all I've played legacy, I've seen almost every band coming except for survival. Yeah, I think we end up seeing that, we see the graph moving that way, right? We see the deck tracking along that graph towards that, that really, that really high value, right? And that, I guess you're thinking like on an X, Y axis, right? It would be like the top right of the graph, right? High consistency. Once yeah, it starts yeah, tracking, exactly. once it starts tracking along that one to one curve, right? That straight line yeah. there, you're like, oh no, it's it's starting <laughs> to go that way, you know? And then people start complaining about it. Um, but whereas, yeah, a deck like Breach, man, I remember playing against Breach in well at the time the the one major tournament that I played in against it, and I was just like this deck is really good. Like, and then I played against it a few times and I'm like, wow, this deck is really consistent and very powerful and fuck this deck. I hate it. <laughs> it. It was pretty ridiculous. 
So he moved along that graph in my mind across one tournament pretty aggressively. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, and I think that's that, that's what's causing frustration. And I, I I very strongly feel, at least that's the vibe I always get or often get from these kind of discussions that people are still chasing that initial high they got of of like the miracles trade-off and i can totally understand that for like some people i see it on twitter and like on, on the, sometimes in the facebook chats that there's like a little bit of like disillusionment or i i don't know how you would put it um sadness going on with not getting that insane trade-off point anymore because like that's the way how you did really well in legacy like you do that and on top of that you're an amazing player then you're gonna do insanely well like if you were an insane player and you played miracles or you know any of the broken decks yeah that that was like really good and if that is taken away then all of a sudden you're just an amazing player with an average deck anymore and i think that is okay that's i, I honestly feel that's actually a really healthy spot in the format there's so only so much value you can get out of like out building your opponent or out mm-hmm. metagaming them but I, I don't want the skill to be to pick the really broken deck. Mm-hmm. I, I will just add, I think part of the pitfall of this kind of mindset where it's based more on theory crafting, and I think a lot of people are in this situation where they don't play Magic Online, so they and but they love the game, and they do talk to people a lot about it, and they follow the results and stuff. And so it's perfectly natural to be like theory crafting and building your deck to the side. Maybe you play some games over webcam and stuff. But it's almost like a downward spiral in a sense that you kind of reaffirm your your decisions yourself. You don't you you're not in a position to lose. You can't be losing because you're not playing. And if you're not losing, then your ideas are probably correct, right? And so you kind of have more of these theories and more of these ideas, and you just keep going further. And like you need to, you need to lose to see how ideas are bad. And that's a really obvious yeah. way of putting it. But uh, if you don't if you don't put yourself in these positions, like if you play. Um, a deck with a lower power level but high consistency if you play against other equally equal decks or even worse decks or different format decks or just don't play at all you're not going to see what's wrong with it and so you're going to keep affirming this and then you're going to get to the point which which is what like started this discussion i think yeah and i think it's a little bit like engineering right like i mean obviously engineers have been around for a very long time building buildings and shit but what you have to, I guess, what you have to imagine is that, like, I'm sure there were times in the 1700s when it's like, on paper, this should work, and they built it and it fell down. It's like, okay, well, what did we not account for? And that's kind of very similar to if you're just sitting around theorycrafting. Now, I will say that I probably fall a little bit more into this camp over the last few years because I haven't, and especially, I guess, for a lot of people, as we just said this year, because a lot of people probably haven't gotten to play as many tournaments and actually really test these decks, and you kind of, I guess, get to rely a little. On a Pacific island in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that, really, right? With regards yes. to being able to play. <laughs> so, so I can only, so I can only really draw upon my, you know, uh, twenty years of playing and the matches that I have That's played fine. in the past and hope. Yeah. But it's better than some, but not as good as like I will say it's not as good as, for example, you, Julian, who's actually sitting there playing the tournaments uh, as often as you are, and, and I'm sure Callum, you are as well. But so, so. So and I it's, have... it's important to state that that's not a bad thing at all, but it's just you. I think you are very grounded and realistic in expectations of what you're like building and theory crafting around. Um, the point is, you shouldn't be like so. Um, the post itself was pretty confident and like assuring himself so, about so the situation. So time, time to take apart that discussion and move on to let like let's take let's really 
get our get our claws into this discussion. This discussion specifically was on the Leaving the Legacy group about Sylvan Library specifically. And I know we love to talk about, I mean, since episode one of this cast, what have we been talking about? Blood Moon <laughs> and Sylvan Library. So, oh, did I we? Mean, <laughs> actually, yes. So, so I mean, we should, I'm we should gonna... have a discussion. What are the best enchantments in each color? But yeah, that, that, that's for something else. So, so, so it's we've been talking about this card for a long time, and what I can say is that having played since Type One Point Five, it's kind of funny how how Sylvan Library has come up. I mean, the card's been around since like freaking nineteen ninety four, right? It's been around a while. People have been playing. People play in old school. It's played in pre modern. It's played in Legacy. But I would say, really, I didn't see it played a lot. You know, around the time that I started playing Legacy, two thousand three, two thousand four, which was one point five, and we have seen it kind of come into its own more. I would say in the past ten years. Um, yeah. So, so specifically, Julian, why don't you kind of go over the discussion of what this particular gentleman had asked or, well, or described? He, he 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 had an interesting point, and I think that's the that's the intricacy of the discussion is that I agree and I like running, for example, two seven libraries in, in Maverick decks, if I do run them. Sometimes I don't run them, it depends on the metagame. There were, there were metagames where I think card advantage was not the way to beat the games where you, to, to beat the decks with Oko and stuff. So I want to say I don't care that much about how many seven libraries one's place. My biggest gripe with the thing was the that was grounded in trying to increase your agency. And I think agency is incredibly overrated, just like consistency. And I think it's just that people feel weird when they don't have as much agency about what they're going to draw because, I don't know, that's that's just me, okay? I think there's this very American thing, just talking from a European perspective, that everything you win, everything you get, that you want to be the one who, who had agency over that. And I think agency and magic and legacy is so much more than just like whether you draw your cards consistently agency starts at when you select your deck when you pick your deck when you play your deck and even understanding like strategic shifts in the game that they don't correlate to individual decisions they correlate more to like oh do i need to close this game out quickly because suddenly i'm not the control deck anymore i'm the beatdown now that's like a lot of agency that doesn't manifest itself in like, for example, mouse clicks on Magic Online and more like in, in how you think about stuff. And I think whether or not you draw certain cards is not really very high up on, on the kind of agency you want because that's deluding yourself into thinking, oh, I have some agency and what well, in brackets, I'm a good player so I can like get there. But that's just like a minor part and I think it's not worth it. So I, I agree that if you want Sylvan Library, I can totally see wanting two. Like we were t- talking specifically about like non-blue, non-Uro decks because Uro is an insane interaction and sometimes people run three. But for example, like green midrange, like Maverick is probably the best example. But I, yeah, th- it's an interesting point. Like I mentioned earlier, I disagree with the reasoning. I agree with the outcome, I guess. So that's why it's such a delicate topic for me to talk about. Yeah, so I think like uh, I, I think we have to frame like the use of the card in the particular decks, right? So like obviously one use is in the Delver deck as a one of typically, sometimes in the main and the meta game, sometimes in the sideboard, to basically go against the control matchups or to basically draw more cards against the Delver mirrors, right? Okay, and then there's the Green mid range, not no Oko, no Uro, no whatever. So we're talking like Maverick, Nickfit, The Rock, uh, Jund, uh, etc. Right? Those types of decks running Sylvan Library to, depending on how you want to describe it, increase your consistency, increase card draw, whatever, whatever it is. Right? 
and I'm just trying to think, well, what's the next, I mean, who else is, that's kind of the, I would say the two camps, really. Is there another camp that we can think of, really? There, there's, there's the main ones. There's, it's been, there's been, um, yeah, Delvedix have been like sideboarding it more. There's, you know, with the recent bannings, like there's been a more clamoring for like card advantage engines. So um, Daniel Ducat, he's, um, Daniel Ducat, Daniel Gertschel, known as Ghoul Ducat, he's put, um, I think, three in his main deck. And he's just using Uro. Like it's, they are the perfect cards together. Like Sylvan Library makes, lets you use your life, and then Uro is the perfect card to like stabilize the board, and then gains you life to get more cards with Sylvan Library. Um, so he's going this like very card advantage heavy route. This is what the Snow decks were doing before, and probably are still doing. Like you're seeing Miracles sometimes play Sylvan Library when they're heavy in green for Uro. Um, we're, yeah, as you said, we're seeing it in like the Green Sun decks a bit. But this is where I'm like most skeptical of it, and this is where the discussion came from. The guy posting this uh, this thing in the in the group, he was talking about the context of of uh, Maverick, and some comments were like saying the cost of including it is is real. Like these decks, you can't play all your one offs because you're, you're going to find them with the cantrips, like other things. Like the cost of including a card which doesn't affect the board for something like that, is it's quite a real cost. Yeah, and I, I think another big thing is um, when you think about it, it's. Sylvan Library is inherently not part of your strategy as a deck when you're playing something like Maverick. Like if you play Sylvan Library on the second turn of Maverick, it's it's already like not the greatest thing because you want to establish like some kind of pressure or advantage early on. Doesn't even need to be you know some 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 physical pressure in the, in the sense of a big knight, but some kind of pressure. I like Sylvan Library like as a like in the third turn, fourth turn, fourth turn, whatever. But I I. I want to present stuff that my opponent has to deal with right away. And when when we talk about and that's the second thing that I guess they say triggered me, is the idea of, oh, it's a one-off that you can't tutor for. It must be bad. For me, for like my entire life, there has always been like, <sighs> I want to say so many bad things, but I probably should just like shut up. But it's really like, that's to me, that's almost a zero argument if it's a one-off that you can't tutor for there's only one reason why a one-off you can't tutor for is bad and that's if it's part of your combo deck like imagine if 10 if, if ad nauseum had no way to tutor for tendrils then that's just like playing a random tendrils but no way to get it like if, if you only played like ad nauseum but no but no infernal tutor and you had to like naturally like cantrip into it oh my god that would be so bad because it's an inherent part of your strategy seven library is not part of your strategy Sylvan Library is an extra thing you get on top. Sylvan Library is like, you know, that extra sword you pack when, when you go into battle. It's not what you... You are not... Or for Sivan the Americans, Library. it's the ankle gun, just so you know. Just putting it out there. <laughs> sort of thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that's that's why I I don't mind if I have one-offs or two-offs. doesn't matter. Like, um, Peter Funderham made a really good point of, like, yeah, so what, now it's a two-off, you still have no agency over whether you're going to draw it. If it's a four-off, you still have no agency over whether you're going to draw it. It's just, like, a matter of odds, especially, like, in, in non-blue decks without cantrips. And if it's not part of my strategy, I'd always take it, like, as, like as an extra bonus. Just, for example, I like playing Palace Chaler as a one-off in Maverick, and yes, it's not green, you can't sign up for it, but when I draw it, it's amazing. And when I don't draw it, my strategy still works. And also, yeah. I draw something else in that spot. That's a really good distinction because, like what we were just describing about the the synergy with Sylvan Library and Uro, when Uro is your end game as well, and like you have cantrips to find both halves of this this uh, synergistic pair, that is a real strategy, and that is part of your plan. So there, it's okay to have Sylvan Library and you can have it any numbers you want, really. Like three is like a kind of fairly common number. You see two as well, but like th these are build around cards at that point. But yeah, I agree that. 
in Maverick, it is just an engine helping you find more cards that actually do your strategy, like you're explaining. Like um, you wouldn't you wouldn't include it in Elves because you have so many better things to do. Even if it's a good card and you're playing the color green, it's, it's just not really on the menu of things that you're looking for there. But yeah, so the distinction between most green suns and decks, I guess, and blue based decks with Uro, it is it functions as a very different card. Yeah, so and and I actually want to make that separation as well between the two decks. So as we were talking about the one of cherry on top, ankle gun, whatever you want to say, <laughs> in Delver decks is just that hedge, right? And in Maverick, it's you're playing two of to have one to two of to have that extra hedge. And when you're getting into that three of, it's like why? I think some people are like, oh, I play four because I, you know, it's the type of card. There was an article I think Channel Fireball put out where it's like. A four of card is a card that I want to see every time, all the time, and I want to see multiples and this and that and other thing, right? And some people argue, why play three Sylvan Library? It's not the card I want to see all the time or whatever. But, like, depending on your strategy, maybe you do want to see that three of... You want to have that three of Sylvan Library, even if it isn't with Uro. So I'll take myself for an example, because I would say I pushed three Sylvan Library in Nickfit for a long time... And people were kind of like, eh, well, it doesn't really, you know, why Why do you want three Sylvan Library? And the answer is because you're going to be blowing it up with Pernicious Deed. It's like you want to. <laughs> no, 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 but hear me out. Hear me out. Oh, you're, you're the best military commander. We need more troops. Why? Because we're going to take out our own ones accidentally. <laughs> but it's true, though, because because in that deck, you are the control deck, right? So you're going to let your your goal is to play Sylvan Library on turn two um, if you can. And maybe like maybe you push a threat and maybe you don't. But maybe your turn one is you have those games where you're going turn one veteran explorer pass and your opponent's like ah oh, for fuck's sakes and then turn two is uh, cabal therapy force of will flashback siege rhino fuck you go um, <laughs> you know but maybe that turn turn one is blind cabal therapy turn two sylvan library turn three build up until you're like turn five now I'm playing the threat or I'm on the back pedal I'm going to drop pernicious deed. Yes, I kill my Sylvan Library, but I also just four for one you, and now I'm going to drop Sylvan Library number two, and then we're going to keep digging, and this game is going to go long. So I think it really depends on, yeah, how often do you want to see it? What are you doing with that card? Does it advance your strategy? And I think if it is just the adjunct to your strategy, I want to see more cards, I want to do whatever, fine. But if you're like, I'm going to use my life total as a resource to crush them with card advantage because I'm playing four Siege Rhinos as well, well, then maybe three isn't such a bad thing. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think it's a really good point. And like, it, it is a card that's bad in multiples, so you do need to be wary of that. Like, I think we would see it more if it it did, like, each copy did more things. Um, You can, you can find uses. And part of the point that the, the post made out, which is not bad, is saying it is a follow-up threat after you've made your opponent deal with your board. You can play it, which is actually just kind of solidifies what Julian was saying about it being a cherry on top kind of card. But also, like, they were saying, if you have a second, you just keep it in hand, wait until they blow up the first and then go on from there but that's not that's not a good use of a card so like you're using it yes but it's i don't buy that as a very strong argument for like making the the later copies worthwhile yeah especially like if, you, if your board gets swiped right the, the thing is if if my board gets swiped as for example maverick and then i'm running out seven library that actually feels like really bad because now i'm not doing anything for another turn i'm i, I like the first thing you want to get down after a board wipe is a planeswalker, really, because play like if your opponent gets you with a board wipe, that usually means they've been sandbagging spot removal to to a point where they're like, okay, just like wait a little bit more, they're gonna play an extra creature, maybe a noble hierarch, maybe fetch a dry Arbor, and now I'm gonna board wipe, and then that that's like that that's all since the the beginning of time has been the 
the game between control and midrange and aggro decks it's like how much do you commit to the board so you don't die to like snapcaster swords snapcaster uh, the other way around so you don't die to swords snapcaster swords while still committing enough so you don't like fade away and if if that happens like the first thing i want to get down after a board wipe is a planeswalker so sylvan library is already a thing that doesn't get hit by spot removal, but it means you're once again not doing anything for a turn. So I'd much rather run a pop. Like if that's the idea for the second copy, for something like f- from a strategic perspective to actually talk about it, then I want my second copy to be a planeswalker. And mm-hmm. yes, that will mean that sometimes I will have a planeswalker on the second turn and I can't cast it. But I don't even want to cast similarly in the second turn anyway. I, I will say like. Um, I'm. I think Sylvan Library is actually pretty overrated in the format at the moment, and it has been for a while. It's really strong. <laughs> I, it's a bit controversial, I know, but like it, it is a really strong card, and it is very good with Uro. And it's it's not a. It's pretty decent against control, as people know. Like I'm not saying it's a bad card at all. It is very very strong. But the way people talk about it these days, I think they they're so used to like Uro being like so much more easy castable with Astrolabe. Quick check. Uro is still very, very, very good in the pl- format and very playable. But like, you don't have Oko making food as well. But that's only part of it. I don't know. Like, when I'm playing against Maverick and they play a turn two Sylvan Library or Delver and they play a turn two Sylvan Library, I'm just like, I'm so happy it's not a threat. I know that they're going to get some extra cards out of it and it's an extra slog to get through. But the tempo loss of two mana not playing to the board. Now that like, again, we we bring this thing up every time, but like the threats these days are still super powerful, even with some of the recent bannings, like. The format is super powerful. People are doing crazy stuff. And like paying two mana to not affect the board in a fair mirror, in a fair matchup, I don't know. I'm I'm generally quite okay with that on the other side. And I've been kind of testing this because I'm not 100% confident that it's actually super overrated. But um, I've been playing the Esper Mentor deck a fair bit more recently. And I've been testing just like letting it resolve even if I have the option of countering it. And especially from decks that have Uro. And I don't know, I'm grinding through it. Like Mentor kills them very fast. Paying eight life is super real. I've like killed them with Snapcaster beats and just like tempo plays to play around as well. And Planeswalkers are kind of good against it as well because they lost the tempo. Then you play a Planeswalker, which then generates more advantage as the game goes on as well. So I don't know. I think the way people are talking about it, they're getting too fixated on like it's a must counter card or it's a must kill card on the spot. And they need to think about it more in the context of the actual matchups at hand. There are some matchups that's amazing. Like an extreme example is from Turbo Depths or from any Depths deck against the Source of Plowshares deck. Oh, yeah. Like this, the first time you Swords of Merit Lage, that is like just what, like, 20, like a million cards, basically. And then, um, yeah, so that's, that's an extreme example. And there are some other ones where like if you're playing a Tarmogoyf in an Uro deck against the Source of Plowshares deck, it, it is a lot better there as well than some other random card advantage engines. But still, I just feel like people are kind of the the riffraff around the card has been it's so powerful these days this last year that I think people can like take a step back and put it into more context. I think something about the card that's important is that um, I think one of the the really good things is the filtering. Like people always fixate on the card advantage you get out of it, and like you mentioned, it it comes at a pretty real cost. Like four is four is already like a real cost. Um, the the filtering you get with in combination with, with Fetchlands, I can't say it's better than the card advantage you get out of it, but it's a, a serious part of the value you get out of it. And Agreed. Agreed. Why, why I like it, especially like in, in, in mirror-ish matches. Like That's also like why people don't really like it so much about against Deva, right? Because against Deva, your life total is under pressure and you don't usually don't get that many turns to, to even like leverage the kind of selection you get. But if, if I played like in mirror-ish matches, it's not the... 
most amazing thing, but it's something that sticks. Like, like again, going back to the Planeswalker thing, a Planeswalker sticks in, in most in most mid-range and control matchups unless he's blue or she's blue and, and they get, like, Parablasted or something. And th- that's, I mean, part of why we do play a similar library because, to me, like, I, I, I like the card and I, I if I have it on the battlefield and, and on top of that, I have a presence, I like that. But I hate playing it early on because that gives my opponent breathing room and in most non-blue decks, you... It's just my credo. Maybe we, we can do an entire episode about like the Julian School of Magic. But well, that, my that's exactly how I in... feel when someone plays an early Sylvan Library against me. I'm like, yeah, okay, I have to, I have to deal with it, what's going to come after it. Like, it, it's not nothing, but like, I'm really happy it's not a, a Thalia or a Dark Confident or a Young Pyromancer or something. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, to me, the biggest thing in Legacy has always been when the second turn ends for the player on the draw. So once both players' second turn has ended. I want to be ahead in the game, ideally ahead on board. That's just like such an important thing to me because from there, the roles are kind of laid out. Somebody has to play catch up really hard while the other person can leverage their advantage and lean just enough on the opponent to, to, you know, get some extra, squeeze some extra value out of them. And when I play seven library in the second turn, it's not good. I don't want that. Yeah. And like, it's like, I don't know. Delver is such a big part of the format right now. And, you struggle to pay life against them until like the late game. It, it's not bad as like a turn eight or nine thing, but it's, but it's so like, risky like paying but, life. There. But but again, the card selection because there's obviously as we just discussed two parts to the card, right? And it's like true, one yeah. part is obviously Miri's Guile, right? Mm-hmm. Is like look at the top three, free top, right? And, and you you know take take a little look, see what's going on. But the ability to say, oh, two of these are definitely garbage, and I'm gonna fetch you the way. Um, and the ability to say, I want this second card or this third card is pretty good. But yeah, obviously against a Delver deck, if you're like turn one, do nothing, turn two, Sylvan Library, and they're like, oh, because on my first turn, I played Delver. And on the second turn, I flipped Delver and attacked you for three and then did something else. It's like, true, it's true. The, fi- the filtering yeah. is real. That's a fair point. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think that a lot of, was it 2017 already the top was been? Jesus Christ. <laughs> it was it was it was um holy shit spring 2017 being so long april 20 any six emperor tyrannus anyway the, the the point is um the the point is i think a lot <laughs> yeah exactly. peace, i think top. the thing is is that a lot of <laughs> decks back then look at how many people were playing the the two of top right as they're you know filtering etc sort of you know smooth out your whatever's over the course of the game, so many people had top as an option because of the fact that it was one mana colorless, etc. But I think the hype about Sylvan Library has shifted because, like, what else did those decks have? Now, many of those decks also splashed green, so, like, moving into Sylvan Library was obviously a decent option for a lot of people, but, like, a lot of those decks just got fucked. Like, like Dead Guy Ale, like, Dead Guy Ale <laughs> was like, yeah. cool. I'm going to run two to three Sensei Divining Top just as a, you know, because I have fetches and I can smooth my draws and it's great. And now, fucked. Like, you're just running, like, is Dark Confidant a good enough card? Like, like yes, obviously that's a great card. But, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like, a lot of people were left holding the bag. And now... <laughs> Poor exactly. Painter. So now a lot Poor of these decks are like, painter. well, I'm still running green. Painter is apparently so good, So I'm way. still running green. Yeah. So, like... I guess like, I'm going to run some Sylvan libraries. And I think just jamming them into every deck because maybe you played top before, eh, maybe not as good as you would think. 
Yeah. Like for as somebody who really hated Top and is who who was basically on a ten year campaign to get a band and I'm so happy it's gone. Um I I can't deny that it also like took some decks with it, right? Some decks who probably had no business being competitive in the first place, who were just like barely kept alive by top <clears throat> liquid. And I think that's that's just like the reality. I, I just like your analysis. It's like, oh please, Matt, send me your super legacy guru advice. What happened to that guy Ale? Yep. And, and Matt is just- like fucked. <laughs> Okay, please subscribe but it's, to but the it's Patreon. true, though, right? I mean, there were a lot of those decks that were like the consistent. Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm using air quotes, but you can't see it. Consistency or whatever these decks were smoothed out a lot by these cards that were really giving them a helping hand. And yeah, maybe did they have any business being as good as they were? Mm-hmm. Eh, probably not. You, I, I would say that guy L has like decent consistency. It just like doesn't have power level. Like that guy L, the biggest yeah. thing is that it doesn't have good planeswalkers. It its removal is you're okay, not doing anything scary. Like, There's no turn three night of the realm where it's like oh fuck. The thing is, you're, you're never really the the control deck because you lack end game potential. But you're also not very good at being Agreed, an aggressive yeah. deck in, in any kind of way. You you're like the ultimate mid range deck, and you probably also like lose to like mana denial. It's just it's, like, it's yes. an- Exactly. The times have changed, and, like, there are better control decks, there are better mid-range decks, and there are better aggro decks. And, like, did Delver certainly help? Oh, most definitely not, right? And, like, you end up being this weird, like, either you're going to try to be that Abyssal Persecutor deck, which is like, oh, man, that's okay, good luck. You know, I, I, yeah, man, it sucks, because that was such a good deck for a long time, but... Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't show up to a tournament with Dead Guy Ale unless I was that one dude from the source who's been playing the deck since 2006, and, well, he knows that deck inside out and whatever. Says the guy who still regularly shows up to tournaments playing Siege Rhino. (laughs) Now, mind you, but I'm the dude, right? So, like, I can play that deck in any tournament and probably do fine. See, that, that's the thing. If you if that's the thing you pick for yourself in Legacy, you are, as you call it, the dude. <laughs> that's okay. Like, if you want to play your fun deck and, and do well, that's that's fine. I, I just think, like, and the pandemic has, a, had, has made it even more of a divide between really dedicated tournament players and people who are okay playing at the FNM, Legacy FNM, whatever, and doing well. And that's totally fine. Like, that's that, that has been me for, like, over 10 years. Oh, there's definitely a divide. There's definitely a divide. But, like, I remember when I showed up to GP Lil, and it's like, oh, man, like, I really... And that was, again, so that would have been 2015, so that was Miracles and, you know, Omnitel and, like, you know, that's Dig Through Time meta. And I was like, do I really want to play Nick Fit in this meta? Because I had done testing before, and I'm like, this deck is no good. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to play this Griefer Jun deck with main deck chokes and boils and just, like, go fuck yourself. And you know what? I I, I didn't do well in that tournament, but, man, I had... It's like, it's like you're going in as, like, I'm going down, but I'm going to bring as many arseholes exactly. with me as I can. And it was amazing because you'd be like, oh, Bloodbraid Elf into choke in game one, and people were like, what? What is happening? And it was amazing. Or you'd just, like, end of turn, they'd be, like, doing... And you'd be on... You'd be ahead, right? Because you were playing Deathrite Shaman, and you'd be like, end of turn three boil you and they're like force of will <laughs> but like what <laughs> what what is happening and it was amazing judge Dude, judge but, yeah, but you would be the best streamer because this is exactly what Saffron Olive has built an entire career on okay well good to know <laughs> or just game one choking people like so anyway like I said a little choke doesn't hurt anyone it just helps the form no um <laughs> but my point is I didn't know where I was going with that I, I don't have I didn't I didn't actually <laughs> I didn't actually have a point. But my point is, choke. (laughs) 
grief people. <laughs> Any, I mean, anyway, yeah. so yeah, no, no, no what, what my point is, I think the pandemic has made it, has created much bigger of a divide between people who really want to do well in on Magic Online, right? And Magic Online is the most cutthroat environment. I, I, I think a friend of mine once put it, Magic Online is basically like playing day two of a GP all the time. Ooh. You you might get some That's free wins, like sometimes but overall it's it's people who know what they're doing because you, you like you you don't really notice when you play with just play points but every time you enter a league that's basically ten dollars and if you enter like five leagues a day which is like not rare for people who grind it pretty pretty a lot then that's like fifty dollars you already pay an entrance fee and you you can make it back and you even like can turn a little bit of a profit or like even like if you're Daniel Gretschel you you basically I think by a couple of years now he's probably gonna own the entire Pacific Northwest or something uh, <laughs> he's he's making a lot of money but it's where dreams go to die magic on it is where dreams go to die and I think people are not comfortable with people with their dreams dying. And yeah, I'm I'm just here to rant a little bit about about the ex, to the extent to which theory crafting is going on without taking the actual matchup dynamics into account. And that's just like what that post brought me to with regards to what we talked about earlier, agency, how I think agency is overrated, and about consistency, how I think consistency is important when you've broken the format in a way. But overall it's rather pointless as long as we have a linear trade-off between consistency and power so we try to chase consistency as long as we get a positive correlation to power and that's that's basically what i want to be saying i i don't consider consistency or agency as inherently good or bad and it's more important to think about it on a strategic level like for example with seven library like i i think a discussion about whether a card like seven library should be a one of two of three of is entirely pointless if you don't talk about it in the context of strategy yeah. and and like what is your deck in, trying to do in green and non-blue green decks yeah even in non-blue green decks there's so many different strategies like Callum pointed out in in dark deck that dark depth decks you get much more leverage out of it whereas in decks like maverick which still inherently tries to put some kind of pressure on your opponent seven library isn't all that great yeah so and it's like i think there's a lot of um like, a lot of people look at the Delver deck, right? Xerox, whatever you want to call it, right? The four Brainstorm, four Ponder deck, and they're like, oh, man, look at how consistent they are. This is, man, I am i don't want to play Blue, or I don't want to play Brainstorm, or I don't want to play whatever you, whatever you want to say. And they're like, well, how can I be them? And the answer is you fucking can't. So, you know, unfortunately, unless you choose to play the four Ponder, four Brainstorm, maybe even free, four Preordain sort of lifestyle that you want to lead you're never going to get up to that level of consistency so really consider don't just jam a bunch of like sylvan libraries in your deck and say well i'm almost getting there look i'm punch punching my deck in with a bunch of cards that it'll be like that right and the answer is no it just ends up being a clunky mess because they're again their deck is synergistic with that because again you run so many instances or sorceries to flip delver you know you're putting cards in the graveyard for nimble mongoose you're finding more removals but right like like it's all part of a strategy so like don't think that you need to run sylvan library just just because you're trying to compete with them like look at i don't know if you guys ever played agrolome circa mm, i did so, it was one of my very first decks. Cir- circa 2010-2011. That level of synergy. Is that when you're burning, wishing for devastating dreams like, and stuff? Like, that deck with Countryside Crusher and Terravore, like, that deck 
consistency wise holy like not consistency but also synergy right like everything worked together it's like you had the cycle lands but those that was also good with countryside crusher but then your dark confidants also basically never cost you any life and you played devastating dreams but that deck really i mean i played sylvan library but i would say in general a lot of people weren't like you didn't need that card right like because you had everything else was working so well together and meshing so well so like before you decide to just say i'm gonna jam this card in because it does a thing that i want to do consider how it works in your overall plan yeah completely like that that's a deck that um like wanted to play to the board more than most even like as a general rule like imagine playing as aggro loam and they're not like playing a threat on turn one or two or three or whatever like yeah you're gonna fall behind if it's not impacting the board i think that was true even back then but especially now. Which, by the way, I'm going to post up my list from Mental Misstep era, and I was playing Agrolon back then, and I did not have the confidence to bring that deck to GP Providence 2011, but I was locally doing very, very well with that deck, and I wish I would have, because that would have been the better choice. I will post that deck up for nostalgia purposes, so everyone can... (laughs) Sure, sure, give us a link. Give us a link. I I think I still have, like, on my YouTube a couple of matches from basically Dimitri Nikitin, who's, like, the godfather Mm -hmm. of Agro-Rome in Europe, at least. And, yeah, anyway. And he he played it at GP Madrid 2010, and I I still have, like, some videos of him going, like, okay, Malik into six, turn one knight, turn two knight, turn three knight. And he played against Marius Hausmann on Dread still. And Marius even got, like, the turn two Dread not off, but, like, turn one knight, turn two knight, turn three knight. Yeah, that's too much. Talk about consistent, like, when consistency meets power. Oh, my God. That's that's the dream come true right yep that's what that's what this whole podcast has been about right like oh man maybe we should like print some merchandise consistency meets power and then that's like absolute power at any cost right <laughs> I love you. yeah at any cost any cost <laughs> and speaking of greatness and cost um Callum, you're, you're gonna play in the legacy uh, what's it called the, the, the team lotus box octagon right yes yeah it's starting in 50 minutes um is that still a slot i might consider playing no, I think the last slot got taken up like an hour or two ago. I, was tr- I told you to play, uh, but I... I know, yeah. I know. It's I really know. fun. Maybe like I, I, I've, I've talked about it before. I just really enjoyed the kind of format and the funness. So um, I'm going to play Grixis Phoenix, an old favorite of mine. Just like a Ooh, list taken yeah, straight yeah, yeah, from yeah. What, I, what I was playing whenever it was last time. God, Oko has just made me age like 10 years in like legacy terms. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, it was probably just like a year ago when it came out, right? I don't know. Do you know if there's going to be live coverage or are they going to do, do like post coverage? They're going to do it post coverage. So I think they're going to, we're going to play tonight. Now it's uh, eight o'clock in the UK here and um, they're going to record it and then they're going to do live commentary tomorrow, I believe is the plan. And I think they rescheduled it, right? To, to better fit European audiences. Yes. So Anarag was talking to me and a couple of others about like, I was happy to play at this time, but people like Marcus and Ali, um, they really want to play these things, but it's just too late, especially if you're in Europe and have kids. It's starting at like midnight. It's just it's just too much because you're going to be playing till three or four sometimes. So it's in a proper time zone, not in like proper time your time zone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm lucky. I'm like an hour ahead of all of you as well. But you're actually um, behind. Mm, yeah. Well, I, I guess it depends from which point. Yeah, I, I guess you could you could be ahead of us. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna shut up my mouth. <laughs> I'll, I'll, be, I'll be behind. I don't mind. I'm I'm in the better time zone. So whatever you want to make it sound like. But um, you live in the past. That's what I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> can't change the past. But um, yeah. So they're, they're trying out this um, different time zone because Legacy is the one that's been struggling to fire the most. All the other ones have been firing fine. So oh really? Okay. Cool. Yeah, kind of sad. But um, I think I think the different time zone has kind of affected it a bit because. 
Well, actually, I, I don't really have a good reason. I guess I was about to say Americans don't want to play Lipsy. Well, uh, so I'm just putting it out there. You know what Anurag recently asked, right? You, you know what Anurag recently asked? Is Legacy actually a European format? And then somebody posted that thing that meme about always has been. Yeah. Was, was <laughs> that like you? That. <laughs> Disagree. I mean, I mean, I I think, I mean, that's, this again, this is another long discussion, but Star City Games cutting the coverage and doing what they did really did a number on the American Legacy scene. Which they, they really put the format on the map for me as when I was like getting into the format and stuff like scg sundays was everything i would i would be out i would be out on a at a party on saturday night or whatever and i'd wake up like hung over on sunday god knows where and i would make sure i'm home on time yeah. to watch it like or i would leave parties early just to make sure i'm there to watch it every single thing it was religious oh man and i was just exhausted every single monday at school that was just like the biggest the thing, thing right yeah yeah I, I remember like traveling three and a half hours to nuremberg on a saturday from passau to play in the legacy tournament and then get home like super late but the next day you know you can watch legacy so yeah that's that's so with regards to like whether legacy is like a european or an american format it actually probably is like a chinese or a japanese format who knows like nobody cares it doesn't matter yeah uh but it's both. It's both. it certainly matters like the the kind of work that SCG has put into the development of the format it's, it's something we probably still feed off from today even though oh my god prices but that's a different oh, episode yeah. somebody a friend of mine told me he's selling a revised scrapland for a near mint revised scrapland for how much? How much is it on MKM? Can you guess? Re- revised uh, scrapland. $150 US. Nah, like no. $300. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. He currently has it on sale for 470 Oh my god. And he's getting a lot of people inquiring That's about crazy. it. That's crazy. Yeah, but apparently that's like a serious premium these days for near mint dual lands, which is like kind of hard to come by, right? Yeah, yeah I mean the prices right now. I mean we can we can talk a lot about uh, stimulus and and magic card prices and Bitcoin and and uh, all I know is this: <laughs> cards getting very expensive doesn't really do a lot of good for the format. And I think as you have seen by my buying habits on MKM, I have definitely bought a lot more gold bordered cards because I'm like, well, this card is now worth. Oh God knows how much in in a real tournament legal paper format, but but I'm building proxy decks or I'm building gauntlet decks. Like I'm gonna buy a place an extra playset of gold border Rishidan ports because I have eight real ones. But like, am I gonna go out now that the prices are like whatever? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like when I need the twelve to sixteen yeah. or twenty copies of something, it's like oh my God, what am I gonna do? Like I I'm not gonna go pay the big Oops. money for it. Yeah, and again. My this actually explains why I think you actually you bought like twenty gold border trading parts and I think like sixteen gold border yeah, wastelands. Yeah, I have like I have I, I have I think I have like thirty six or forty Korean Tempest wastelands. So like, but again, it's not enough. Oh, it, it, that's oh, I have more Korean wastelands than Kim Jong Un. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> this is so bad. I shouldn't laugh about this. <laughs> Damn! Somebody say something. <laughs> I gotta go turn my sausage. I agree. I, when we when we um, are allowed to play events again, I know I've mentioned a few times that um, with help from a few friends, I've been running proxy allowed legacy tournaments. I'm just going to push that further and further because we're in a bit of a bind. Because in the past, we've always had one blue jewel for first place, and. Um, you, hopefully a non-blue duel for second place and then like less f- as you go down but we we can't do that anymore obviously like it's just completely unfeasible reading pool it is yeah maybe just, i need to think of like new prizes for that now i'm like 
And the thing is, like, so the reason why we had real cards as prizes was because we talked about having cash as prizes or credit at a store that we wanted to support or something. We talked about it for a while, and the, in the end, we thought the whole reason we're running these events is to get people playing the format. So great, we can run the, the tournament, people play the format, but we really wanted people to build towards a deck. So the, the dream for us was to have someone win a prize and then to use that prize in their deck at, an, at another tournament like later down the line, and then they slowly build towards this deck they've been doing. And then after half a year, they can either save up money and play in the tournaments and win prizes to work towards it. And... Um, have this deck they could be really proud of towards the end of the thing. I mean, like sometimes the prizes didn't line up with what they wanted, but that's where like trading and we we tried to help with that as well. Trading came in, and um, I don't know. With prices so high now, we just we're actually genuinely worried that people don't want to build their legacy decks anymore. Yeah. So we want to give prizes that people want, but you can't you can't tell a sixteen year old that we're saying like yeah look you can come and play in these events proxies are allowed fantastic, but we can't tell them that you know you're going to work towards your four color snow deck with blood moons because <laughs> they're not going to they don't want to they can't it's not it's not reasonable to ask that so we uh, we need to like kind of overhaul it really yeah it's, I it's, I, it's I think it's really tough because like. To put put in perspective, if people are like, ah, oh, well, I've already had my collection for years and years, like, like a C, a collector's edition Lotus, which is now collector's edition has really taken off in the last little bit because mm-hmm. people are basically saying, ah, fuck it, we can use it in tournaments. A collector's edition Lotus now is worth more than what I bought a beta Lotus for six years ago. So think about that and put that in perspective. Like that is insanity. Um, and now the yeah. beta Lotus, well, Jesus, you don't want to know. Um, it's it's. I can't imagine. I I was a, one of those people who said Underground Sea is how could it go over a hundred dollars? Come on, guys. Mm-hmm. Okay, and now yeah, I mean when, when I bought, I, I sold some recently, which I I already regret. I was so annoyed with the format and paper play. I I think we won't get to play too much paper in the future, uh, at least for the next year or two. So I was really down about paper play recently. So I sold a bunch of things. And yes, yeah, I, I regret it. But I, I knew I bought the seeds for 80 euros each, a few of them, which I don't know. I wish I could go back in time and to buy a few more. But like even then felt like expensive. Yeah. But um, when, when the topic of prices comes up in like chats or groups and stuff, I it makes me pretty angry because the overwhelming majority of people are like, oh, yeah, well, I have all these things already. And they do say often like, yeah, I don't mind the reserve. Let's go and blah, blah. But so many opinions are like just this loud opinion about yeah i have it ready so here is my opinion because i'm qualified to talk about it but the people we should be listening to is the yeah this is the 16 to 18 year olds who want to get into the format and they just have no chance of playing in these paper events in the future if they don't have people lending them cards it's just not realistic and so those are the people that we want to be ushering into the format for the future because we can't just have the same people like playing every single week in the store you need to get fresh people in and so this is what i'm really concerned about legacy for the next few years how it's going to progress through that we have to see. Yeah, and then people give you that shit about, oh, but why should there be an entitlement to be able to play Legacy in the first place? Like, yeah, fuck yeah. that. You, you had the entitlement because you paid 50 euros for a card, not because you have to pay 500 euros for a card. It, that's what drives me crazy. Sorry, this is this feels a lot like when I this whole argument is like a lot like the real estate market, right? So as many people have probably been aware, depending on your area and what's going on, interest rates are historically low because of the pandemic. So therefore, people are getting out much more in a mortgage than they normally could, therefore driving real estate prices up, therefore it's harder for people to buy a house, et cetera, et cetera, right? Well, this is like the Vancouver real estate problem. Some people are like, well, I've owned my house forever or I got in, so too bad you can all do it. And other people who are not in the market are like, 
houses are over a million dollars and the average income is $50,000, like, obviously, look at this multiplier. This doesn't make sense. How am I ever going to get a thing? So it's very similar in what I, I know people are worried. Yeah. There are people who are worried yeah, but... with their beta this or their alpha this or their dual lands or whatever. They're like, well, I've already spent so much money. What if it goes down in price? It's like, ah, oh, that's such a hard argument to make because it's like, did you did you think this was going to be an investment vehicle? Like, what was your what was your plan here? And my counterpoint to reprints tanking pricing I would be okay totally as someone who has a lot of alpha beta stuff that I'm not. <laughs> and now we go back into what Kadem said, by the way. <laughs> now we're listening to the people I already have already opinion, have and everything. I'm still in favor of reprints. <laughs> it's, it's, fine to be, it's fine to have opinions because well, but yeah. I want more people in the format. I want to be playing more legacy. And you know what? Yeah. I don't think my alpha and beta whatevers are going to go down because there is the collectability aspect of it. If they want to reprint Bayou as a white bordered new frame whatever, with whatever art, and that Bayou is $50, more power to you. And guess what? I'm going to buy eight of them because I'm going to use them in my decks. Any- so, like, <laughs> like, I mean, that's what people are saying, right? We, we want Wizards to almost do that just because Wizards would probably like make a ton of money if they did that. But going apologies. back to, to the original thing, like, to me, it's much more about, um, t- to me, it's much more about the fake argument of entitlement because we are not talking about like something like human rights it's like oh why should you be entitled to this and that you are only entitled to you know physical protection shelter like all the basic things of liberalism but beyond that yeah there's maybe no entitlement but this is also not a question of entitlement like when i say i want people to be able to purchase legacy at prices that are compatible with like a medium income or even like a low income because like a lot of people are just get into it like while they're still students and stuff that's not because i i think there's an entitlement for anyone to be able to participate in any hobby but because i know that my hobby will be greatly enhanced by an incre- increased inflow exactly. of new people playing it so i don't care whether somebody should be entitled to be able to play legacy like if somebody is absolutely piss poor and has no money i mean it sucks and i've been there but yeah you have other things to worry about but if somebody's like just going through life and like not having a lot of money as a student is like a normal thing i i still want those people to be able to play not because i'm appealing to some greater human right of entitlement i'm just i just want people to play the format so we can have more people in the format and play together i just that's all yeah. there is to it there's like no big i just want more legacy gps thing. like give me i want more people playing so there's enough people <laughs> to have like a seattle legacy gp um in one part of the year and like an east coast us gp and two european gps and a japanese gp like give me give me people give me people playing the format i want to shuffle my cards physically, I want to meet new people, I want to have people see how awesome this format is, that's what I want. I don't want people from the outside saying, man, buying the dual land mana base for Snowco is the same price as buying a very decent used car, or it's the same price as a down payment on a, I don't know, something, right? Like, like that. Like, people shouldn't be like, wow, I could buy real dirt real estate, or I could have my set of collector's edition. Like, uh... Yeah. 
Yeah, it feels like you you know you, you want to go to the park and play football with your friends, and then you're like, oh, but we have to protect our friends who spend like an insane amount of money on their shoes. And sorry, your shoes are just 100 euros. Sorry, you can't play with us. It's like, I mean, it's a legitimate position to take if that's what you care about the most, playing football with people who have expensive shoes. But I think if we if we make that too, if we emphasize that aspect too much, and I think especially in the last five to six years, Magic has emphasized that expensive shoe aspect way too much, then we, we stray from what makes, makes Magic a great community experience, and especially Legacy, right? Make Magic great again? Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's that probably, kind of slogan yeah, probably you're tainted right. forever. That's probably shit. It's a good one, though. <laughs> I mean, damn. But yeah... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, guys, do, do you want to rant about anything else? Because I think I've oh, God. got this. I, I could definitely rant about um, normalizing proxies in the future of uh, the format and stuff. But I think we should do an episode on that. We did mention it before that we will do. So I think we'll get around to it. By the way, in speaking of legacy GPs or GPs in general, I've actually heard it from several people in the know now. So I, I wasn't going to say it unless I've only heard it from one person, but I've heard it from several people in the know. And basically the the idea coming from the people who make these decisions is it's not a question of whether those big tournaments like GPs are going to resume. It's only a question of when. So I think that's something to look they, forward they to. They did say awesome. um, there was a tweet from like a main Magic account saying we're hoping to get uh, tournaments back at a certain date. I can't remember the date now, but yeah, they're, they're coming back. Oh, and speaking of big tur- uh, tournaments, right? Uh, Jeremy Missouri MTG, he yes. announced the big 100k legacy for October 23rd in, I guess, Missouri, right? Yes. Yeah, that is October 21st. Yeah. Is that 23rd. 23rd. Don't listen to me. Listen to Julian. I, I don't remember. <laughs> That's what all this podcast is about, right? <laughs> uh, all right. Everyone yeah, listen to I him. Don't know, but, uh, so yeah, uh, I guess we're going to wrap it up here. Um, we, you, you're going to play in the Octagon. You're going to Phoenix some people. Matt yep. just told us he has to run. He has to. By the way, Matt, your pulling teeth and foil actually arrived, which is probably like one of the most flavorful cards. Nice. If you could ever make that card work in a deck, that should be your signature deck. <laughs> so if you want to support us, if you want to hear more of Everyday Eternal, if you want to make sure that we keep the lights on here, I'm actually sitting here in the dark, but that's fortunately not because of money, just because I, I was <laughs> bored and I forgot to turn the lights on. Anyway, it was you for can that joke. Us. It was. A, it was set up the whole time you've been sitting in the dark the whole evening just to set up that joke right i'm very bad at setting up jokes further in the future than 10 minutes oh fuck now my monitor just turned off because i haven't used my mouse in 10 minutes see that's what i get <laughs> <laughs> if you want to support us spread the word let people know about eternal empty at eternal mtg on twitter where you can follow us let people know about everyday eternal we recently got like an awesome review on itunes so thank you so much for that um i, I always get like an extra email when we get that and those are going to be all of our reviews are going to be on our future homepage, which hopefully is going to be done soon so other than that if you want to support us you can also head to patreon.com slash everyday eternal become a subscriber join our patreon join our discord um, get some awesome recipes from all around the world in our everyday eat channel uh, sub channel so that that's an amazing place to be and with that shout outs to our longest supporters on the eternal witness tier Tommy Hinks, Trent Bras, Tessacula, Sebastian Holager, Guillaume, and Severin Schwarzuber. And of course, on our top Grizzlebrand tier, Victor Bernst, Bachubat, Scott Monroe, Jeremy Gates, Henry Kokutz, and Tom Hepp. Thank you so much for making Everyday Eternal possible. Matt Callum, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And good luck in the Legacy Octagon. See you in, I guess, a couple of weeks. Yeah, thank you. Take it easy, everyone. Bye-bye. <coughs> I'm Matt. Bye. <laughs>